This presentation, The Mystical Interpretation of Sacred Scriptures, will deal with the mystical and non-sectarian interpretation of sacred scriptures. The Rosicrucian Order Amorc is not a religion, so our approach will be an examination of the deeper underlying meaning of sacred texts in order to appreciate their full value. Indeed, the mystical construction of the world's sacred scriptures and the profound meaning of various tracts in sacred writings are discussed at various stages in the Rosicrucian teachings. We will consider sacred scriptures from the Christian, Hindu, Buddhist, and Native peoples' traditions. However, our approach will be universally minded. This follows from the insight of the Rosicrucian Louis-Claude de Saint-Martin. In essence, mystics speak one language and come from one country. In considering how to mystically approach sacred scriptures in practice, it is important to have time to reflect and sift over passages. A half hour on one verse or several verses can be helpful and greatly enriching. A passage can be contemplated before entering into the enlightening state of meditation. Also, a passage can be considered after meditation when one is in an ennobled state of mind. The rush to quickly assimilate a book provides a quantity of learning based in the outer mind, as stressed by most formal educational systems. However, for quality of reading, the kind demanded for the mystical unfolding of sacred scriptures, the emphasis must be on a respectful and patient process to allow the inner self to speak to the outer self. The latter form of learning the world knows little of, but is in great need of it. One of the distinctive features of the mystical approach to sacred scriptures is that the written text acts as an assisting medium or catalyst leading to an inner comprehension and divine afflitus. In contrast, when the outer text is taken as the authority, one has moved away from direct understanding and mysticism. Sobering in this regard is one of Validivar's aphorisms in the Rosicrucian Order Amorc book, Whisperings of Self. Each religion is a mystical experience had by its founder, out of which grows the creed which it expounds. In the long run, one cannot live on the mystical experiences of others. Fortified by the example of those leading lights who have gone before, one must venture in oneself. The reading of sacred scripture can be one of the ways in which the mystical experience of others is of service in awakening our own mystical realizations. Sacred texts often take the form of stories or epic tales. These symbolic story lessons have had certain advantages over purely philosophical tracks. One, they are generally more memorable for people. Two, they can activate strongly both the intellect and the emotions necessary for mystical realization. And three, they readily veil the most progressive and mystical meaning apparent only to those sufficiently prepared, mature, and responsible. These are helpful points to remember so that we do not give up easily when trying to penetrate the mystical meaning of a sacred text. We will now discuss some examples. Three themes among many possible have been chosen to highlight in this presentation. They are one, the mountain, two, battle or combat, and three, cosmic diagram, that is a cosmogram or mandala. We will consider first the Old and New Testaments. The former text is of importance, of course, to both Jewish and Christian traditions. 
it should be noted at the outset that there are different versions of the Bible. Some vary in the books that they include of the apocryphal and related texts. For example, the Book of Wisdom of Solomon and the other 13 apocryphal texts of the Old Testament, not in the King James Version of the Bible, are in the standard Latin version of the Bible, the Vulgate. There were many apocalypse books written in addition to the Book of Revelation by St. John of Patmos. An important example is the Apocalypse of Elias. It was known to the Oriental Rosicrucians and Great White Brotherhood as a sacred record of the teachings and early history of the Nazarenes and Essenes. This text was used in the most advanced classes in the joint work of these organizations. Further, parts of this text have been issued in the higher instruction of the Rosicrucians in the past century. All of these texts have considerable mystical import. More generally, in the Rosicrucian teachings, recommended reading is given for the sacred scriptures of the world. Traditionally, the Christian Bible was viewed as presenting the unified truth. It was held to reveal one consistent set of truths throughout. It portrays a great allegorical drama from the beginning of creation, paradise, the journey of exile, and return to the heavenly estate or city. Mystical laws and principles are personified there in memorable stories. If these stories are approached with perseverance and readiness, they will become transformed in our consciousness. An expansive reawakening to unity will have been effected. There were traditionally three to four levels or senses of biblical interpretation or exegesis, depending on the classification system applied. A common classification of four levels was the literal or historical, the allegorical, the moral or tropological, and the mystical or anagogical. In some classifications, there was what can be referred to as a cosmological and scientific level. Additionally, this level shows the unity of science and religion that Rosicrucianism actively advances. Further, the allegorical, moral, and mystical levels were sometimes referred to together as the spiritual. These observations essentially apply to all sacred scriptures, such as noted in the Zohar Kabbalistic text. An example of the four levels is found in the interpretation of Jerusalem in the Bible. Literally, Jerusalem was the geographic city, and historically, it conjured up a wealth of events of past memory and account that had taken place and culminated in this holy city of David, Solomon, and the mission of the Master Jesus. Allegorically, it signified the church or the collective body of spiritual aspirants and initiates. Morally, it represented the virtuous and faithful soul. On the mystical level, as we will see later, it was the heavenly city, the abode of the spiritual elect, and the experience of cosmic consciousness. The other levels were secondary to the mystical level. Indeed, it was on occasion warned that literal interpretation sometimes did not apply, and it may even profane and kill the spirit of the message. Overall, then, we begin to sense the wealth of potential meaning of the Bible, deriving from these levels of interpretation, particularly the most important level, which we will concentrate on, the mystical. Many of the traditional Rosicrucians promulgated these multiple senses of biblical interpretation. The Jewish exegete Philo of Alexandria and Italian theologian and alchemist St. Thomas Aquinas are outstanding examples. Indeed, many figures in the early church and later had an appreciation of the mystical and esoteric core of the Christian tradition. 
and outer emphasis in living was a constant test on the integrity of communing with true Christianity. Through the Rosicrucian studies, we can gratefully link ourselves with the current of pure Christian mysticism. Notably, the Rosicrucian adept Louis-Claude de Saint-Martin found the biblical commentaries of the Christian mystic Origen of particular assistance. It is befitting that Origen should be so distinguished. He and Plotinus were both disciples of Ammonius Saccus in Alexandria. Plotinus was an emissary to Rome for the Rosicrucian teachings through the medium of Neoplatonism. At the same time, Origen brought an understanding of the mystery schools into the Christian church and thereby assisted in the transmission of the pristine tradition promulgated through the Master Jesus. The scope of our undertaking here is alluded to in the following remark by Origen. If one wished to obtain means for a profounder contemplation of the entrance of souls into divine things, let him peruse at the end of Ezekiel's prophecies the visions beheld by the prophet, in which the gates of different kinds are enumerated, which obscurely refer to the different modes in which divine souls enter into a better world. And let him peruse also the apocalypse of John, what is related of the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and of its foundations and gates. And if he is capable of finding out also the road which is indicated by symbols, of those which will march on to divine things, let him read the book of Moses entitled Numbers, and let him seek the help of one who is capable of initiating him into the meaning of the narratives concerning the encampments of the children of Israel. Of what sort those were which were arranged towards the east, as was the case with the first? And what those towards the southwest and south? And what towards the sea? And what the last were which were stationed towards the north? For he will see that there is in the respective places a meaning not to be lightly treated. But he will distinguish in the encampment certain things relating to numbers that are enumerated and which are specially adapted to each tribe, of which the present does not appear to us to be the proper time to speak. We will now take up the direction hinted at by Origen and traveled before us by St. Martin. We will consider further some examples from the Bible. The first is that of the story of the battle of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. For many, a memorable tale from childhood. Some of the points in this story's rich symbolism will be surveyed. Goliath, the giant and champion of the Philistines, had made his challenge to the Israelites for 40 days, every morning and every evening. 40 is one of the key numbers of the Bible. It equals, of course, 10 times 4, and thus signifies the knowledge of God, the all-encompassing, all-fulfilling decad, or number 10, transcending, informing, and forming the fourfold structure of the universe, for example, the four directions and the four elements. The youthful David goes forward sensing God's guidance, refusing armor, but carefully choosing five smooth stones for his sling, corresponding to the five physical senses. The proud Goliath, with the appearance of superior strength, is toppled by the boy David with but one masterly aimed and slung stone. Goliath is associated with the physical body and outer self. David is likened to the inner self, the God within. This intriguing story speaks of inner conflict and the needed guidance and confidence of the inner self or master within. 
rather than the outer self indulging in the illusion of its superiority, when the inner and outer natures work in harmony, there is self-mastery and the greatest strength. Next, the book of Revelation has fascinated many throughout the history of Christianity. Its expression is laden with symbols, highly poetic and extremely dramatic. Many parts of this text are actually drawn from earlier sections of the Bible. On the moral level, it signifies humanity's and the individual aspirant's great inner moral battle. In other words, the formation of virtuous and righteous living when untruth ceases to fascinate. The heavenly Jerusalem near the end of the text in Revelation 21 will be particularly mentioned. It is a description of an inner vision and mystical experience of the text writer, St. John of Patmos, while on a lofty mountain. The new Jerusalem is the expanded return to the paradise described at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. The heavenly cities detailed fourfold and twelvefold structure indicate a model of the cosmos or cosmogram. Its structure largely follows that of the encampment in the wilderness of the children of Israel and the temple of Solomon and Ezekiel's vision of the temple. The numbers 12 and 144 figure prominently. The heavenly city had 12 gates, three in each of the four directions. One of the meanings here is the 12 gates of the zodiac. The sun, it was said on its annual course, passed through these cosmic gates in ordered succession. The heavenly Jerusalem, as an abode of the spiritual elect, alludes to our ultimate purpose of existence, the reintegration of beings into the original divine estate. The text describes the descent from on high of this celestial city with the centrally enthroned Christ to the faithful on earth. St. John there describes the mystical marriage of the bride, the godly and pure-hearted with the bridegroom, the Christ. In other words, this signifies mystical union in the established rapport with cosmic or Christ consciousness. Further, the chief executive officer of the Rosicrucian Order Amor, Comparator Christian Bernard, in his book, So Mote It Be, emphasized the great need to emanate the messianic light from the heavenly Jerusalem vibrating within us. These are some of the profound meanings of the Book of Revelation, which forms the most befitting culmination and conclusion to the entire Bible. We will now shift our examination to the sacred scriptures of Hinduism. These Sanskrit texts can be referred to as the Vedas, the Upanishads, the Ramayana, the Mahabharata, and the Bhagavad Gita. The Upanishads are the concluding part of the Vedas, and the name refers to the knowledge of Brahma, the Supreme Being. The Bhagavad Gita is part of the Mahabharata, and the name means Song of the Blessed, or Secret Doctrines Proclaimed by the Blessed One. We have just earlier discussed the Old Testament battle scene between the Israelites and the Philistines, and more particularly the combat between David and Goliath. Similarly, a battle scene is the setting for the Bhagavad Gita. The prince and skilled archer Arjuna in his chariot faces a great battlefield with many friends and relatives on the opposite side. The war is about to begin, but he is confused and paralyzed as to how to proceed. Should he commence to kill friends and apparent foes? However, the avatar, manifestation of the Godhead, Lord Krishna, is his charioteer. Arjuna accepts Krishna as his spiritual teacher. As time stands still, Arjuna is instructed and initiated into the great wisdom and practices of yoga that are the only way out of his conundrum. The dialogue that ensues is expansive and ennobling. 
The great themes of existence are covered with the heightened intensity of the apparent imminent battle as backdrop. Arjuna learns how to discipline his mind and senses, to experience cosmic consciousness, and to unite with God. At one point, Krishna shows his true transcendental form to Arjuna. This is akin to the culminating initiation and transfiguration of the Master Jesus on Mount Tabor before his specially selected disciples, James, Peter, and John. Allegorically, Krishna represents Arjuna's inner self and linked to God. The chariot, Arjuna's outer senses and faculties, and the battle scene, the dilemma and challenges encountered in the mastering of life. The 700th and final verse of the Bhagavad Gita poignantly concludes with, Wherever there is Krishna, the master of all mystics, and wherever there is Arjuna, the supreme archer, there will also certainly be opulence, victory, extraordinary power, and morality. Another example from Hinduism is the myth referred to as the churning of the milky ocean related in the Mahabharata and in some other sacred texts. In this story, the gods and the titans cease their warfare to work together to extract the drink of immortality. They do this by churning the cosmic ocean. The rod they use is Mount Mandara, the world's pivot, supported from beneath by a gigantic turtle and steadied by Vishnu at its summit. Vishnu is the preserving aspect of God. The churning rope coiled around the mountain is the cosmic serpent, Vasuki. By the gods and titans pulling back and forth, the milky ocean begins to solidify. Thirteen precious objects rise up from the depths. The last to emerge is Ganvantari, the physician of the gods, with the moon in his hand. The moon contains Amrta, the elixir that gives everlasting life. On the macrocosmic level, a creation story is related. At the center of the world is the sacred mountain, Mount Muru, or Mount Mandara, the pivotal center, the axis Mundi. The pulling gods and titans signify the tension and dynamism of cosmic polarities of force in the universe. The churning, like the making of butter, is the genesis and solidification of the world. An interpretation at the microcosmic level is that the story describes the subtle physiology of the body. The churning rod is the body's central axis. The turtle at the base is the root chakra. As an aside, a profound discussion of the chakras and psychic centers in the February 1986 issue of the Rosicrucian Forum, a publication made available to Rosicrucian students, has shown that they are not the same with significant differences. However, they have parallel locations in the human body and, as centers of force, they both allow energy to flow between the physical and psychic bodies. The two subtle channels connecting the chakras are signified by the two halves of the serpent. The top or crowned chakra, the lotus with the thousand petals at the top of the head, is Vishnu at the peak of the mountain rod. The churning alludes to the meditation techniques of Kundalini Yoga. Here, the elixir held in the root chakra is caused to flow upward through the central axis to the top chakra. This is also described as the ascent of the kundalini within the body, symbolized by a rapid moving serpent. Once this occurs, the elixir descends again and is said to immortalize the human aspirant. As noted earlier, some of the system and techniques here are different from the system of psychic centers learned in the Rosicrucian studies. However, there are parallels in these two approaches with the same essential goal of self-mastery and the reintegration of all beings back 
into the original divine estate. Thus, combined in one memorable story of colossal and dynamic motion, both the creation of the universe and the fundamental spiritual structure and goal of the human being is given. This, of course, involves the mirroring of the microcosm in the macrocosm. This creation story has also been adopted and adapted in Buddhism, a tradition which we will turn to now. The teachings of the Buddha, the Awakened One, are gathered in the lessons and stories of the sutras and the more private instruction of the tantras. Key here is the accounts of the life of Siddhartha Gautama, his mystical quest, enlightenment as the Buddha, and subsequent acts of service and instruction for all living beings. Buddhist teachings have descended to us in written, oral, and ritualistic transmission through various schools of Buddhism. These sacred scriptures find an oral and visual counterpart in the construction of certain mandalas or cosmic diagrams. An example of this is found in the wonderfully comprehensive Kalachakra San Mandala of Tibetan Buddhism. The involved construction of this sacred diagram is in itself a ritualistic act. As the diagram manifests, the artisan monks contemplate its meaning and assume the consciousness of its presiding deity beings. The mandala is made in conjunction with the Kalachakra initiation, taking aspirants into the meditation practices and wisdom teachings of the Buddha. Further, Tibetan Buddhism maintains that the teachings, rituals, and constructions of this mandala were originally given by the Buddha. The three-dimensional form of the mandala is centered on a great palace supported by the pivotal mountain of existence, Mount Muru. This highly ordered diagram is both a model of the universe and the microcosmic human being and a map for the initiatory progress for all sentient beings to enlightenment. Mandala or cosmogram has a rich source of profound meaning. The literal sense of the Sanskrit word mandala is wheel. Secondly, Japanese Shingon Buddhism advances that mandala means what gives birth to all Buddhas. In other words, quite broadly, that which assists in the enlightenment of the seeker. Thirdly, mandala can mean composed of gi, from manda, meaning gi, and la, meaning composed of. Gi is an exquisite tasting refinement of butter and is milk's concentrated essence. It is made in stages having increasing purity and savored flavor. One, milk. Two, cream. Three, curd. Four, butter. And finally, five, gi. This process is explicitly likened by Shingon Buddhists to the churning of the milky ocean to produce the elixir, as discussed earlier. The five successive refinements, mystically interpreted, are the five stages of evolvement toward Buddhahood, or self-mastery. Thus, Mandala alludes to the mystical evolvement of the soul personality and the ultimate attainment of self-mastery. Mandalas that are constructed by physical means or by spiritual exercises of interior visualization are meant as meditational aids. Attunement is sought with the corresponding archetypal mandala already within the aspirant's mind and indeed all-pervading in the cosmic mind. In other words, the recognition of the unity of laws and principles within each one of us as a microcosm assists our greater realization of union with the macrocosm and the absolute. Cosmograms or mandala-like structures are often described in sacred scriptures. In the Old Testament, examples are the tabernacle of Moses, the encampment in the wilderness, the temple of Solomon, 
and the visions of Ezekiel of the wheel and of Jerusalem. Intimately related to these is the New Testament vision of St. John of Patmos of the heavenly Jerusalem that we have already discussed. Often a mountain is associated with the cosmogram, either by having a mountain at its center or by being revealed to a mystic during the ascent of a mountain. In this regard, let us turn now to the native peoples of the world who have a profoundly rich and diverse heritage of sacred teachings. Much of this heritage is traditionally oral, as is typical of the formative history of sacred texts. However, native teachings, laws, rituals, and stories have been put in written form. The Popol Vuh of the Kisha Maya, the great law of the Hachishanani, or Iroquois, and the seven rites of the Oglala Sioux are examples. We will consider further the theme of the sacred mountain. One of the seven rites of the Oglala Sioux is the Hanbol Ki Yapi, crying for a vision. It has been related by the Sioux holy person, Black Elk, whom you may recall was featured in the Odyssey series on the back of the Rosicrucian Digest, October 1977. As a child, Black Elk experienced a cosmic illumination in which he was transported to the sacred mountain of his nation. Through a vision of a series of successive sacred hoops or circles, he experienced the unity of the cosmos and his mission on earth. Black Elk mentions that there are many reasons for a person to conduct this rite of ascending a high hill and remaining there fasting and meditating for a pre-chosen number of days. For example, it may be to seek oneness with all creation, to understand further an illumination already and unexpectedly received, to ask for healing of another, to prepare for some momentous duty, or to express thanksgiving. Certain prayers and rituals are given beforehand to the seeker by a holy person. They assist the sojourner in invoking and harmonizing with the powers of the four directions, the universe, and Wakan Tanka, the great spirit and creator. The practice of temporarily withdrawing to a high hilltop or mountaintop is indeed found widely at the heart of many cultures. It is referred to directly or indirectly in sacred scriptures. The Old Testament provides the examples of Moses, Elijah, and Ezekiel. In the New Testament, the Master Jesus and St. John of Patmos ascend the mountain. Siddhartha Gautama, on his spiritual quest towards becoming the Buddha, meditated with five other ascetics on Mount Gaia. In the Quran, Muhammad ascended Mount Hara for prayer and revelation. The ascent of the mountain can signify the raising of one's consciousness to sublime heights with an expansive view, the experience of cosmic consciousness. The exercise we will now conduct will feature the themes of the mountain, or axis of the universe, and the cosmogram, or mandala. It will involve a meditation from the center of the universe and the emanation of the messianic light. Now, get comfortable in the chair that you're seated and take a moment to put your hands in your laps, palms down, have your spine upright, and start to take a few deep, invigorating breaths. Breathe in through your nostrils and exhale out through your mouth, your nostrils. Take a few deep, invigorating breaths now. Now picture a bright light infused in your body. You may wish to choose the color white or some other color suitable to you. Feel this invigorating light enlivening the vital life force throughout your body. 
Now picture this white or bright light expanding out and encompassing the room with you at the center. Now picture this bright light expanding throughout the building in which you are in. And picture it expanding throughout the neighborhood where you are. And again, continue with expanding of this great sphere of white light throughout the city or rural place where you dwell. And now picture it throughout the province or state. And continue to let this white light expand throughout the country where you reside. And throughout the heaven hemisphere. And see the white light encircling the globe of the earth. Now rise up from the earth and expand the light out throughout this entire universe, encompassing the planets and the sun. And expand out again, encompassing the entire Milky Way galaxy with you at the center. Now envision this white light or bright light expanding out again, encompassing all the galaxies to take in the entirety of the universe with you dwelling at the very center of the cosmos. At the center of this great mandala, sense a deep sense of peace, wellness, and dwell here in this enlightening state.
from this great center of the universe, the central throne in the heavenly city and temple of God, will emanate the messianic light. If you can sense the stupendous harmony and order of the coursing heavenly bodies, stars, and planets all about you, begin to radiate love from this center to all sentient beings throughout the universe. Feel it as a great bright light radiating out from you and the Christ and God consciousness within you. We'll now conclude our meditation from the center of the universe and the emanation of the messianic light by retracing our journey from the very center of the universe back through to the Milky Way galaxy, back to the solar system, back to the earth, back to your country and province or state, back to your city or rural area, back to the building that you're in, back to the room that you're in, back to the where you were seated and when you are ready we return to a more objective state of consciousness and open your eyes so be it in truth so mote it be in conclusion the selected themes of one the mountain two battle or combat and three cosmic diagram or cosmogram or mandala have been applied as some of the keys to help understand the mystical meaning of sacred scriptures. In so doing, we have been drawing ourselves toward the esoteric core of the exoteric religions of the world. The mystical interpretation of the sacred scriptures moves one to that core, an inner source of wisdom. In this manner, we experience all the world's spiritual traditions as one.